You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. I'm Kevin Power. Sascapes continues its journey in Rock Glen, Saskatchewan. Jan Johnston and Neil Jones were my hosts. You'll hear from them in a podcast to follow. When I arrived at their house, met them and the dogs, I also had the pleasure of meeting two of their friends. Of course, I'd be meeting a lot more later on. But one of their friends, Brenda Feuerstein, was reclining on the sofa, sipping soda water, and from the moment I spoke to her, I just knew she had a story to tell. She is an unmistakable presence and energy. Brenda shares with me her story of love, loss, spiritual practice, her fondness for Saskatchewan and travel, her passion for writing, yoga, and much more. In the background, you're going to hear a lot of sounds. Most prominently featured is guitar playing and singing coming from Neil's studio. That is the setting for my podcast later that evening, and one you've got to hear. You'll also hear the sounds from the kitchen as dinner is being prepared, and also the phone ringing. Each time it rang, it was another friend of my hosts asking, What time shall I be there for, and what shall I bring? Beware, and for what? My next podcast will reveal all. But for now, this is my new friend, Brenda Feuerstein. So now I'm in Rock Glen, Saskatchewan, and I've waited a long time to get here because I just had a sense that something magical was going to happen when I arrived. And it did the second I walked in the door because uh, in addition to meeting my gracious hosts, um... There on the sofa was sitting somebody named Brenda Feuerstein. And instantly, once I started to hear you speak, I thought, I have to record you. I need to know your story. So um, I want to know your story all over again. I'm going to get you to run through everything that you did. Are you originally from Saskatchewan? I am. I uh, grew up in a, a small town called Plunkett, Saskatchewan, which is... Uh, I guess it was along the old 14 Highway, which is now the 16. Right. And then um, my teen years were in Humboldt, Saskatchewan. And I stayed in the province for a number of years and eventually made my way to California. And did something significant. What brought you to California? It was in 2003 that I decided that I was going to volunteer for a retreat center in the United States. And it was called the Yoga Research and Education Center, uh, which was founded by Georg Feuerstein. And I put in an application online, and Georg responded and said, oh, you know, this is magnificent. You can do copy editing and proofreading, and you don't mind physical labor, and, you know, you're... you." like Sanskrit and you like Eastern philosophy. And, and he said, when can you come? And so I said, well, I'm available the end of June. So I jumped in my car and I drove down to California and I volunteered at the center. And that's 
how Georg and I met, um, which was kind of a crazy story when you think of it. A girl from Saskatchewan drives down to California and ends up meeting this writer who she ends up marrying. <laughs> right. Now, he was a writer. Were you also a writer at the time? I actually was not a writer. Oh. I didn't start writing until I wrote, but I didn't publish anything. Right. Most of my work um, before I met Georg was fiction and a lot of poetry. Uh, and that was mostly growing up in Saskatchewan, you know, my, uh, my experiences on the prairies that I wrote about at that time. And then when I was in California and connected with Georg and we started working on uh, Eastern philosophy together because that's really where our paths crossed. And my interest in Eastern philosophy and his, which was, um, great, right? Worldwide recognition of it, um, formed a really good, um, writing collaboration. So we went on to write a number of books and distance learning courses on Eastern philosophy and environmental and social activism. But did you have a, you had a previous interest or studies in Eastern philosophy? I had studies and interest in it. So um, I was a yoga teacher before I met Georg and I had been studying Sanskrit for several years and studying Eastern philosophy, formally and informally. And been I started on the path of Tibetan Buddhism before uh, I ended up at the center in California. Right. So when we uh, met in California, it became you know this union of um, scholarly work and also of spiritual practice. Right. Um, how many people were studying Tibetan Buddhism in? In, where you were. in Saskatchewan? Yeah, were you in Humboldt still? I was in Humboldt and Saskatoon, and there was a very small community, but it was growing quite rapidly. Um, a few Tibetan monks were coming to Saskatoon at that time, and there was a professor at the University of Saskatchewan, Herbert Gunter, and he was a Tibetan Buddhist, and he actually was trying to bring Tibetan Buddhism into Saskatchewan for some time. So there was a there was a growing interest. Right. Of course, it's blossomed into quite a big interest now. Right. So you went to California in what year? That was 2003. And was it quite clear the minute you met Georg that there was something there? Oh, the minute we met, it was an immediate recognition. Uh, we always used to make these elaborate stories about uh, how we would have met in past lives and oh, what okay. we did, you know, and um, how we met in the... Uh, on the Silk Road and in Madagascar. And <laughs> so it was, we knew, we knew immediately when we saw each other that there was something there. And um, because we worked well together, I was volunteering at the time, but still I was doing a lot of work with him uh, in various capacities. And it was just obvious from the moment we saw each other that that was the path for us. Right. And now he is, he was at that time, um, already very established as a writer. Yes, he actually wrote his first book when he was 14, uh, living in Bavaria uh, on yoga philosophy, and it was published. And then he went on to um, live in England and Oman and became very well established as um, the foremost authority on yoga philosophy at that time. And then from there he moved to the United States in the early 80s. And he, from then on, was 
the foremost authority in the world on yoga philosophy, which was Buddhism, Hinduism, and Jainism. Right. And so you were there with him for how long in California? Oh, we were in California for a couple of years. And then uh, we decided to leave the nonprofit association back, uh, you know, kind of give it back to the state. And this was during the Bush administration. And we decided that it was time um, to go back to Canada. He had only had one experience in Canada before. And it was a winter experience. So he felt that all of Canada was probably cold and, and horrible. And, and he wasn't really sure about this move from California, the beautiful area of California. Right. And um, I of convinced course he him. found out that winters weren't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Only 30 below, right? right, 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 right. <laughs> um, and Georg's parents had, had long since passed away. And he was missing having family. And my parents were still alive in Saskatchewan, still are. And I decided that I was going to just throw the idea. Let's move to Saskatchewan and um, be closer to my family so he could have that experience as well. It didn't go over that well. <laughs> so It we, didn't go over well when you were talking about it or when he got here? No, initially when we were talking about it. Oh, so right. we, we decided British Columbia, but we got to British Columbia in uh, September. The fog set in. Our dog was turning moldy because it was <laughs> the fog had yeah, gone right down yeah, to the right, ground, right. and um, I said to Georg, "I know it's one place in southern Saskatchewan. It's small community. There's some writers there, some artists. We could see, you know, what's going on there. Maybe there's property for sale." So I showed him the pro- uh, the town online, and he immediately resonated with the hills. Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Right. Yes, that was, I've, I must remind listeners, I've already brought this up in previous podcasts, the hills are quite remarkable here. The hills are incredible. Yeah. So we ended up in the Frenchman Valley right. in a small town called East End. And um, we were in British Columbia. We phoned and to find out what properties were for sale, and there were two. One we could move into immediately, and one we had to wait a year. Yeah. So we said, well, we're... We'll drive out and take a look at it. So we drove out on a Sunday, bought it Monday, and moved in Monday. In East End, Saskatchewan, population? About 600, when everybody's at home. (laughs) Right. And is there a thriving um, Tibetan Buddhism? uh, We were the first Tibetan Buddhists to arrive in that community. But it has since become um, an active, or more active community in terms of Buddhism. I have a small group of people that gather... um, fairly often to practice and receive teachings and 
so it's interesting. I think that there was a natural movement at the time to expand their knowledge and to move past their experience of uh, religion and spiritual practice. Right. And um, because of the Dalai Lama, I think that, you know, a lot of people um, think of Tibetan Buddhism when they think of Buddhism. Right. 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 Because sure. of his presence. Sure. Um, so I I do have quite a quite a large group of Tibetan Buddhists oh, yeah. living and in my day. And you still continue to to instruct as a yoga? I am. I have yeah. I have a small studio in my house, so I teach and mm-hmm. I have yoga teacher training programs and meditation mm-hmm. programs. Um, and then uh, I also started a program where I introduce it into prisons and addiction recovery centers as wow. well. Um, we have several distance learning programs that are yoga philosophy based and. Over the years, we found that a lot of people in prisons were contacting us to see if they could study. Now, of course, there's the hiccup because there is no internet in a prison, so everything has to be done by physical correspondence. So you right. go back to that, you receive letters, and everything's handwritten, and then you respond to them, and there's a delay, and everything's got to go through the red tape of prison. But um, when Georg passed away in August of 2012, we started um, a program called the Inner Freedom Project, which signifies mm-hmm. that no matter where you are, whether you're banned to a place or whether you're restricted to your home or an institution of some kind, you don't. even if you don't have outer freedom, you can have inner freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, we encouraged people in prisons and addiction recovery programs, as well as staff members mm-hmm. of those centers, to um, apply for the program, and it's free for them. Um, so we have quite a quite a, a growing population in the prisons that are starting to study yoga philosophy and inner transformation and meditation. And no doubt, it's proven to be a valuable tool in rehabilitation. It has. I mean, in the states, it's been um, there've been many studies with meditation and yoga, right. and um, we just felt that here is a group of people that has time, right? And yeah. most people, that's the biggest thing. They don't have the time to study. Right. And you've got a population that has the time but don't have the physical financial means to do so. So we decided that we were going to provide them with that with free programs. Right. Um, I want to back up a little bit, and I totally leave it to you um, how much you want to share about this, but mm-hmm. uh, you lost Georg 22 months ago. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know how Eastern philosophy or, or your belief system deals with the tragedy of loss. It's mm, a great question. <laughs> um, it depends on the Eastern philosophy that you're talking about. Uh, I'll give it from a, a Tibetan Buddhist perspective. So from a Tibetan Buddhist perspective, when a person dies... There's a period of time where they're in what's called a bardo, kind of this limbo stage. And then um, after that, they will seek a new body. Their mind seeks a new body for, for rebirth. And as the surviving person, you enter into a practice of trying to be unattached, uh, which is not easy. I, I wrote extensively about that. And... Um, the article that I wrote for Shambhala Sun really summed it up. I, it's easy in theory. Right. It's easy in theory. Um, practice, um, it smacked me across the face, right? I, I wasn't expecting it. 
You know, you say that you're a practitioner and you you do your practices and the things that come to you and and then bam, something tragic like that happens and everything changes. Um, I so I, I got a new appreciation for what it must mean for people in certain situations to practice and overcome things like attachment or um, you know physical pain things like that to right. actually go through that and come up the other side but did you ever well does one ever get there I mean it's it's hard to imagine not having any not having a, a reaction other than the very base human reaction we have to losing a loved one yeah um, which sometimes just defies all belief systems you just exactly. you just grieve exactly and, so Buddhism doesn't tell us to push away those right. those emotions. It's just to be very present for them. Right. So, do I think that you ever get past that? So grief is a process. Right. I don't think it ever ends. Mm -hmm. It changes. It changes you, um, but it never really ends. And there's no... I don't believe there's this other side or, or um, when people say, oh, you'll get over it. No. It's not right. It's not black and white, right. right? And it's an experience that everyone has, and it, that's very much their own. Yeah, there's no timeline on. on no timeline. Right. So when I, I made a conscious choice. Um, I, I didn't like Facebook. I didn't like social media, but I decided that it was important for me to consider what kind of contribution I could make after the loss of my my everything. He was my spiritual partner. He was the person I worked with all day, the person I played with. Like, you know, he, that was our life together. And I realized that grief is just not accepted by a lot of people publicly, socially. It's not an acceptable thing. People don't know what to do with it. Yet everybody experiences it yeah. on some level. Yeah. Even if it's... Even if it's that your dog dies, you're experiencing it, but most people don't know how to get it out of them. Right. And so I set out purposefully with the practice of every morning I would get up and I would go straight to Facebook and I would write a post that was whatever came up, good, bad, or ugly. Mm -hmm. And I did that twice a day, day in and day out, and still do that. Right. And the flood of letters came in flood of emails, flood of messages that were thanking me and saying, you gave me permission to actually do this because I never thought that it was something I could do because there was this stigma to talking about grief or talking about death. or And um, I realized that even though it was extremely painful for me to do it, I wanted to go, I wanted to run away after Georg died, I didn't want to embrace that and be very public about it because I wasn't really a, um, a public person when it came to my emotions. So I kind of came out of my shell when that happened, and it was healing for me. And it, it helped a lot of people. So that's led me to do some writing now on death and dying and grieving and to start a workshop series, which will be introduced later this year. Also in East End? 
Now that's going to be a worldwide workshop series. So oh, yeah, so, so you do that online. It'll be online and in person. Right. Um, and I I chose the online element as well because so many people live in remote areas, or they live distant from. Um, and they don't have the financial means, or they have family commitments or job commitments, and they can't necessarily travel to a workshop. Nor should they, right? right. If they're in a grieving process, right. sometimes you don't have energy. That's you just want to sit in your house and be alone, or you know, do what you need to do. And I felt that the distance learning element would really be beneficial for people like that, and still have an online kind of community where people could gather and have little chat rooms and talk about this. Because of course, there's this big movement called the um, the Death Cafe. Oh, where people get together and they uh, usually it happens in a, a restaurant, right? They'll have a restaurant time that's just open for the Death Cafe, and you have a little menu, and you can talk about whatever you want in terms of death or dying or grieving, and anything goes. It's hugely popular. It's all around. It's a global. Phenomenon. It's a global yeah. phenomenon. It's uh, and it's hugely popular because finally people are given permission to talk about what we all go through. Yeah, and um, I think that's really important. Yeah, really, really important. You mentioned to me that you're doing a couple of documentaries. I am. I'm doing um, the first documentary that I'm doing is about Georg and his contribution to yoga in the world. And I'm working with two filmmakers, Paula Fassi and Gita Desai, who are two major filmmakers in the United States mm-hmm. and who have worked with projects with Georg before. So I was very fortunate that I have over 200 hours of footage already to draw on from Georg and the other documentaries. Mm-hmm. And um, so they're helping me along that process. And uh, it's my first kick at the can, right, with filmmaking. But I always wanted to be a filmmaker. So it's it's kind of exciting to be able to enter into that realm of um, different creative work. Plus, it's like it, it probably contributes to your healing process. It does. It does yeah. in a major way. And it will help people around the world to see, to better understand Georg. He was a very private person. And um, he was a fantastic writer. Um, of books and of courses but he didn't like being in public that much so um, and it was his shyness really Mm. it wasn't that he didn't like people it was that he was shy and so that's the part that I really want to depict in the film that there was this other man you know that loved robins and you know the the one that people didn't really get to get to learn about Um, so I want to share that through film and it will have a supporting book with it as well so how long did he have living in Saskatchewan? Uh, we moved here in uh, oct- late October of 2004, uh-huh. and he died in 2012. So, right. yeah, eight years. Can you talk about any of his impressions of uh, uh, after yeah. having to travel so well to be he lived you know pretty much everywhere in the world right. and it traveled all over right. when he landed in Saskatchewan he fell in love wow he fell in love we came through the Frenchman Valley right. from Alberta to East End and when you enter that area the first thing that you see of course is this expanse right yeah. of the big sky that everybody talks about and very few people in Saskatchewan that have lived here all their life really they don't understand it mm-hmm. until someone points it out mm-hmm. and he noticed it and and I can remember seeing the look on his face and it was just pure joy 
pure joy. Then we entered into the Frenchman Valley and he looked at me and he goes, this looks like Tibet. Like, this is amazing. And from there, it was horror frost, which he had never experienced. Oh, right. The magic of horror frost. So the beautiful. things that we take for granted, right? And but the funniest one, I think, was um, I decided we were going to go swift current one day and I was going to take him to the city, right? And uh, he used to, you know, be used to LA and San Francisco, and so we're going to Swift Current. We go into the number one highway, and and I said to him, "We're going to be going on the vein through Canada." And he he was bracing himself for this because, of course, he was used to the five through the United States. Through the United States, which you know, you're vibrating in your vehicle. It's uh, torture for most people, you know, wall to wall traffic and. Yeah. And uh, so we hit the number one, and I turn out onto it, and I said, so what do you think of it? And he goes, what? And I said, this is the vein. And he goes, there are no cars. <laughs> it, was, it was desolate. There wasn't a single vehicle on the road, yeah. and he couldn't believe it. Yeah. He just laughed. He said, this is it? Like, this is this vein that you've been talking about for months, right, preparing me for? And I said, yep, this is it, right? <laughs> So, and for someone who grew up in in uh, Germany, right? So he was used to the autobahn, sure. and um, he was used to heavy traffic, right? And condensed living. He would find that in Saskatoon now. Yes, I mean we would go to Saskatoon, and he would go, "Oh, this is so stressful." Yeah, right. It's true. It is true, right? And especially after you've been living in a small town for a while, and then yeah. and then you mm-hmm. decide you're going to go to the big city, right. and uh, it's a shock. Right, the traffic and the speed of everything. Because when you live in a place like East End or anywhere in the south part of Saskatchewan, it's a different pace. Right. You're dealing with the old cowboys, and um, it's just a different way of life. Yeah. And he started to really get into that. And his big thing was he wanted to be a Canadian citizen. He was, you know, so so we worked towards getting that. So he became a, a Canadian citizen in January of 2012. So the same year that he passed away, he was able to become a citizen. So it was just pure joy for him when he went to the ceremony in Saskatoon and, and got his certificate. And yeah, it was just wow. thrilling for him. We, it's something we take for granted, eh? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So he loved the hoarfrost, but honestly, did he like fall the cold? in love with winter? I mean, no. No. Winter, the first winter was great because it was a real mild winter. And so he, he believed that all winters were going to be like that. There was very little snow in the south and it was mild. You know, minus five, minus six was about the lowest it was getting. And then, of course, it would warm up. You'd get this beautiful hoarfrost and everything was beautiful. And the next winter was brutal. It was, you know, minus 35. And, and he just said, Maybe we should go away every winter. <laughs> yes, I'm wondering. I'm wondering what the break breaking point is, even for someone who's practicing Tibetan Buddhism. <laughs> at which point you go, I'm no longer centered. <laughs> well, he said we need to get a few things like hot water bottles, right, and right. so you know that was kind of our our little funny thing was we'd get up every morning and you know, it was 30 below or 35 below and we'd make these hot water bottles and put them in our office chairs so that we'd be sitting in this little cocoon of, of water heat, right? right. <laughs> so that was so great. there is room for being human. Of course, of course. But we sometimes tend to paint it as being, you know, you just it's just constantly at, at, at this Zen state of no. peace where you accept everything. No, it's a practice. It's right. called a practice for a reason. Right. 
Because you're always practicing. Do you ever get there? Do you ever... Is there ever... <laughs> well, is there ever, you know, an end point? You know, some, Western philosophies often do have a... And then you accept this and you are there. Um, but I get the feeling... No, Eastern philosophy yeah. really doesn't. Enlightenment, right? But you're, uh, you're never really there or you are there, right? Yeah. I mean, the people that I know that practice Eastern philosophy, it's a lifelong practice. Right. You're constantly... You're preparing for death, really. That's what you're preparing for. Because you know that there's a rebirth. Right. From an right. Eastern perspective, Eastern philosophy perspective. Right. right. So before you... Uh, take that journey of rebirth. What what's next to you? I get the feeling you don't stay in one place very long. <laughs> I'm a road tripper. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I love road tripping. Right, right. How do you have the faith to just kind of know that you're meant to go somewhere uh, without necessarily a really clear um, strategic five year plan? Just know that you're there's a calling to go there and, yeah. and, and make that leap. That's one of the best questions I think I've been asked in a long time. Oh, good. I'm yeah. glad I can pop up the occasion. No, that's great. Thanks. For me, it's all about letting go of expectations. And I hate to say this, but I, I don't really have goals. Mm-hmm. I really don't have goals. I let my life kind of flow quite naturally and let go of that feeling like I need to control something. And when I let go of that control freak part that we all have to some degree when I let go of that I realize how easily things just fall into place and um, for me that makes my journey so much more easeful right right so then where might you uh, take your journey next (laughs) what's on your bucket list as I've been asking people oh my bucket list things and places yeah I mean I know you don't have goals but I mean yeah if, if I said to you, name a place you'd like to go next. Yeah, I would love to go explore um, Eastern Canada. Right. It's, it's been a draw for me for some time. Right. And specifically Nova Scotia. I mean, Newfoundland, as much as I love the idea, it's too severe for me winter-wise. So Nova Scotia, I could see spending um, my summer, spring, summer, fall there. Mm-hmm. And then um, going elsewhere for winters, though someplace a little warmer. But I do a lot of teaching on the roads. So, like, say, say in 2015, I'll be in Bali for the month of March. Right. So those are the kinds of options that I have during the course of the year. I can kind of choose warmer spots if I need to go away during winters, right? Do you think that what you've established in East End will stay if you were to move on? I'm actually training people right now to take over the yoga classes, and there are a few people that are coming along with Buddhism to the point where I feel that they could begin to have sessions. Right. Um, I've always wanted to leave a community feeling as though I've contributed enough that something will stick when I go. And certainly... In this case, introducing yoga and meditation and children's yoga and and things like that and Buddhism into the community was really important for me. And I want that to stay. So in doing, in saying that, I created a teacher training program with people in the Southwest so that they can actually teach, you know, have teaching space, teach, um, keep the community going in that way, keep schools going in that way. How do people find you in the Southwest? You'll think, wow. Um, word of mouth, I guess, right. or Facebook, right? right. And I hate to say the Facebook word. Um, That's okay. 
It's the reality of our time. It is social media. You it can is. Find you on LinkedIn. Yes, I'm Twitter. on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, right. and I've got a big website. And um, yeah, so my company is actually Traditional Yoga Studies, and that's where all of our distance learning programs exist, and um, where people can pick up our books as well, and videos and, and things like that. And where's your writing at now? It's interesting. Uh, when Georg. When Georg was dying, there were a couple of books that had loose ends, which meant I had I had a couple of decisions to make. I could either decide to complete them and go through the publishing process with those books or just let them drop off. And I decided that I needed to get them out there, that it was important. Um, and since then, of course, I found tons of boxes of books and you know manuscripts that need to be published. But so I took on those. Uh, three projects specifically that were gay orgs, but that ended up being both of ours in the end because I had to do some major contributions to the writing process. And that, in a way, was obviously his finale for his um, academic writing. But in a way, it was also a transition time for me because I suddenly had this boost of creativity that I, it was like an explosion it was never to that level in the kind where you can't sleep for weeks on end and all you can do is write. And my writing actually changed to be more fictional writing and poetry and, but from an esoteric perspective, um, combining Eastern philosophy and putting this overlay of the prairies and, and the experiences that I was having in the South with the winds and the, um, the storms that would roll in through the valley and the quality of the rivers and the smells mm. down here. Mm. And I was infusing it, kind of overlaying it onto the stories that were told in, in India and Tibet and Nepal and even into Japan and China, some of the fol folklore that was being told or mythology that was told um, through spiritual practice. So my writing has changed. Um, significantly and what was interesting was I started just throwing some writing onto Facebook occasionally and people started to become very interested in this new kind of writing and I was really creating a different kind of language for a lot of people I was mixing up the senses so um, you know you're seeing sounds and because during the grieving process things shifted in me it's, it's a strange kind of thing that happened where it was windy and I realized I can see the wind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can right. see the wind. Right. I can't, it's not just that I can feel it. I can smell the wind because the quality is different. The quality right. of the air is different when it's windy. And I realized that no one had really written like that before. And publishers were becoming interested in this new way of writing. So somewhat shamanic writing, yeah. um, kind of tantric writing in a way that uh, people hadn't heard for a long time. And so that's where my writing is at right now. I'm still doing some translations uh, from Sanskrit to English and from Tibetan to English. Because um, I'm very interested in how the ancient teachings are what they can give us today. Mm -hmm. Like, what do they mean in today's context? Right. Even though they're thousands of years old, um, 
they're still, you know, very spot on in many cases, right? Trying to publish all these fantastic Yes. Work. Yeah. So much of our work is published through some Shambhala publications right. and Home Press, which is based in Arizona. And both of those publishers have been instrumental in um, getting Georg's work out there in a big way for many, many years. Right. So, and, and it's just a natural continuation to keep his work going in that way and to have my work going in that way as well. And will we find it on Amazon? Oh yeah, Amazon and chapters and bookstores. And And possibly even in the library system? Yes, yes, definitely. I know some, yes, exactly. Uh, Many of our books are available through the library system and if they're not, you just ask, right? And they'll get them in. They'll get them in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow, I had no idea that, that this part of uh, Saskatchewan culture existed and that you're, <laughs> you've played such a major part in, in making it happen. I feel obliged to say I'm sorry for your loss, you. but I don't want to trivialize it by saying that you've made them, you've made the most of a tragic situation to, to grow yourself and to carry on a legacy that I think Georg would be extremely I say proud because I get the sense that it's not about pride for him that he would it's a word he rarely used I'm sure I'm quite certain (laughs) that it is but that it's a logical extension of of uh his presence beyond just his physical presence that you're that you're carrying that on yeah Um, that he would be humbled by it yeah and I can actually say he, although he never used the word pride or proud very mm-hmm. much, um, when he did use it, it had a different quality. Mm. Um, it was this quality of deep recognition that someone has followed a path that was possibly challenging and did it with love and compassion and and passion, right? right? And which is how I pretty much live my life. Right. Well, you'll live it uh, to the fullest, and I hope that you get a chance to live it in Nova Scotia. <laughs> Your home. My, my home, home. My home province. <laughs> yeah. I, can't, I cannot tell a lie, but I'm so glad to hear that you're, it feels meant to be because you keep running into Maritimers. I do. I do. And, of course, I, I've always wanted a, a church Yep, and there's one waiting for you. And there's one waiting there for me in the valley. Yeah. Life life presents itself to you over and over again when when you're open to it. Exactly. Exactly. Inspiration to those of us who perhaps doubt the second things become unclear. Yeah, never doubt. Never doubt. Right on. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm so glad we had the opportunity to meet. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created by Kevin Power as part of the Culture Days Animator program operated by Sass Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lotteries Trust Fund for Sports, Culture and Recreation. If you want to hear more of these podcasts or to see the great work being done by other Sass Culture animators, please visit www.iheartculture.ca. Special thanks to Paved Arts in Saskatoon for their technical support. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There is no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time...